You know, people remember Ralph mostly because of Kiner's Corner, his his uh, quirky post game show. Um, but he was a terrific nuts and bolts play by play guy as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is Doug Williams in the unseen space that is my left, as you're listening to us via iTunes or yesnetwork.com. We opened with a little clip of uh, Ralph Kiner memories from last week on the Michael K. Show. Literally, as we were finishing taping last week's episode, uh, we got the news that Ralph Kiner had passed away, which... um, you know, he's a legend in both baseball as a player and a broadcaster. Uh, and as Doug and I were talking about it last week, you know, he's one of those guys, there's a generation of, of people that remember the same maybe with Phil Rizzuto and Harry Carey and even Harry Callis with uh, the Phillies that don't really remember him much more than kind of a old guy who got trotted out to the booth every now and again for whatever reason because he was a legend, even though he might not have been capable of really coherently telling a story anymore. But, I mean, to people my age, I'm 33, almost 34, you know, I remember Kiner's Corner on Channel 9 with the Mets uh, getting the player of the game on after the games and Kiner being one of those first great broadcasters I grew up with along with, you know, Phil Rizzuto watching the Yankees. And obviously we never saw him as a player. He led the uh, led the league in home runs a handful of times. He was a Hall of Famer. But I remember him as the voice of the Mets, and he was darn good at it, and it's going to be a – it's a big loss for baseball that, that he's passed away. Yeah, um, sorry to, to hear about the news. And you know, anytime a, a Hall of Fame baseball player passes away, it, it's it's sad because you know there's people like you know my dad's age and a little older who who remember watching him play. And there's going to be a day where you know the the guys of of my generation and the guys we're watching now, you know, it's it's a weird thing. It's like a a changing of the guard. And um, you know, he was a terrific player. And it's, uh, it's sad to see him go, for sure. Yeah, you know, if we're doing this 30, 40 years from now, <laughs> we may be talking about, you know, a Goose Gossage or uh, Joe Pepitone from the – I'm just trying to think of Yankees who are in their 50s and 60s that, you know, could be in 30 years on, on the cusp of that. And it's uh, – you know, we'll have different memories, obviously. But uh, thanks for the Kinders Corners, Ralph. We'll miss you. Um, with that, I guess we can move into our scheduled topic, which is uh, spring training. It opens February 14th for the Yankees. Pitchers and catchers report on Friday, and baseball is here. Uh, the Dodgers and I believe the Rockies or the Diamondbacks have already opened. Pitchers and catchers have already reported. They're out in Arizona working already. So truly baseball is here, not quite yet for the metro area teams, but 2014 season underway, and I think after Masahiro Tanaka's press conference on on Tuesday being the fourth press conference we've done this year, it's kind of finally sinking in that the Yankees really are going to have all of these new faces this year, but they still have plenty of questions going into spring training. Yeah, the one uh, storyline that's kind of driving me crazy, Lou, is the fact that people are saying they have so many holes. Um, And, you know, I agree. They have positions where we aren't 100% sure who's going to be there uh, and for how long. Uh, second base, third base come to mind. Uh, setup guys in the rotation comes to mind. But here's the thing: I mean, if you think about last year when they were what ten games over 500, they had all holes. I mean, what position besides second base were they totally solidified at for the whole season? None, 
besides, uh, you know, the closer role. Yeah, left field came close, but then Brett Gardner got hurt in September, and that kind of exactly. Helped everything so along. if you can be ten games over five hundred uh, with the the coaching of Joe Girardi, the starting pitching that we'll have again. Then we've plugged as much as many of those holes as possible, and by we I mean the Yankees. It's it's you know by bringing up the fact that Kelly Johnson we might not know how he's going to perform at third base. Well, obviously, but you can't have a solid option at every position. Right. We've talked about this before. I just I'm sorry, I don't think that when when people are asked, hey, what do you what's your prediction for the Yankee season? Saying something like, well, they've got a lot of holes in the infield is an excuse. It's not. They have guys to play the positions. They may not be stars, but they went out. They've got a bunch of guys to fill two or three positions, and we're going to see how it works. They're better suited than they were last year when they won 10 games over 500. So there's actually no reason. They, they, they haven't gotten worse, in my opinion. No. I mean, they, they lost Robbie Cano and Mariano Rivera, but they've gotten a lot of guys to try and you know make up for that. Right. And, you know, Kelly Johnson, too, his main position, I guess, in the past and last year has been second base. He played a little bit of outfield with Tampa as well. But, you know, if Brian Roberts can't stay healthy and they just shift Johnson over to second base, if someone like Scott Sizemore or um, if Eduardo Nunez shows, you know, that he can handle third base every day and he can hit and he can play defense, I mean, there's a lot of options. Just because there's guys penciled in on the depth chart and guys in camp doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it's going to shake out. It may be that way on April 1st, but it may not be that way on May 1st, and it may not be that way on, on September 30th. When Eduardo Nunez like injured himself multiple times last year by like taking a step, that was a big deal because he was such a, you know, he was an important part of the Yankee infield last year. Yeah. Now he's a backup and maybe a third string out infielder. So this is how much more depth that we have now. Right. There, there's really, I mean, you can say all you want. All I'm hearing is people saying the Yankees have holes. And I'm not just saying this as a, as a Yankee protector. I'm saying this to the members of the media who keep saying they have holes, they have holes. Well, guess what? They have a lot of guys to fill them up. So, you know, we got to let it play out. And their starting rotation is better than any of us could have possibly expected. I didn't think Hiroki Kuroda was going to come back. I thought maybe he was going to retire or go back to Japan. One last season in NPB, maybe, yeah. He's back. He's solid every year. You have CC Sabathia, who can't be any worse than he was last year, and at the very least is going to eat up innings. And then you have Tanaka, who, if you watched his start on Yes earlier this week, he's got good stuff. The guy's going to be good. He may be Hiroki Kuroda. He may not be an ace, necessarily. But... The Yankees are going to be better than they were last year. I don't know by how much, but there's no reason to say they won't be. Right, and you know, there's not you're you're never going to say there's a ton of you know recent All Stars in, in NPB, but th- there's a lot of American players over there that he's faced that have played in the majors that he's had success against, and he had success in the World Baseball Classic against teams like Team USA that were full of Major League All-Stars. You know, the Canadian team had a handful of Major League players. Every other team had a handful of Major League players. All of the Latin American teams are full of Major Leaguers. And he had success against the teams he played. And so, you know, obviously you have to temper expectations. Like Brian Cashman said yesterday, he's not going to go 24-0. and But as Michael Kay also said at the end of his press conference, he could win 15-17 to games with a 3.75 ERA just as easily as he could be an abomination. And... and- on, you know, what the problem that people don't understand is the guys that they've brought in this offseason will put people in the seats and it'll make people watch it at home. And it's a smart decision to bring in new faces. If they had brought back Robinson Cano and Curtis Granderson and that was it, there was no Beltron, there was no Jacoby Ellsbury, 
people would look at this team the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It would, you know, neither of those guys were draws. It's it's different now. They have guys that are wild cards. You're not sure how they're going to do. But guess what? That is interesting. There's not any Yankee fan out there that isn't excited for this season. I can guarantee you that. No, I Why I wouldn't agree. you be? I agree. And, and one last point to illustrate you know, what we said earlier about the third base situation is the Yankees knew Alex Rodriguez last year was going to miss at least half the season because of hip surgery. They went out and signed Kevin Euclid and said this is our backup option. There were still eight other guys besides those two that started at least five games at third base throughout the year because Euclid was hurt, and then A-Rod struggled with the quad injury at the end of the year after he came back, and you know once the Yankees were out of contention, he just didn't play anymore. So could it realistically be any worse than last year when they had a fallback plan and still had to go to their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth options? No. It really can't. So, you know, you may not think Eduardo Nunez and Scott Sizemore and Kelly Johnson and Brian Roberts are a sexy quartet to play second and third base, especially after losing Cano and missing a guy like A-Rod. But, again, just remember 2013. It could be worse. So temper expectations. And sometimes you like to see guys like that on a team that has a lot of stars because it evens it out a little bit. I look at the bottom of the Yankee lineup, and it kind of makes me excited because it's, yes – Kelly Johnson is probably a seven through nine quality hitter, but at the same right. time in Yankee Stadium, he can hit twenty five home runs, yeah. and it's it's the unexpected. It's the fact that Eduardo Nunez probably has less pressure on him this season than he ever has before. Maybe the pressure's gotten to him, and he's going to come out of his shell a little bit. He doesn't have any shortstop expectations, considering they have Brendan Ryan and Derek Jeter, and you know. People are doubting for the sake of doubting. We have no reason to say that Mark Teixeira won't be a 30 and 100 RBI guy. We have right. no reason to. We have, we, we, he's not 40. We can wonder if he will because of the risk, but we have no reason to say he's not going to be as of yet. Right. So I, all I hear about is the Yankees spent $500 you know, million dollars this year, but what about the fact that we don't know about Mark Teixeira? Derek Jeter's coming off an injury. They have question marks at second base and third base. They lost their closer. The outfield is filled with guys that are in their 35 or, or older category. That, yes, that is true. But you can also look at it, the fact that they have a plethora of outfielders, all of which have a high high ceiling. Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer. Mark Deshaies is a 30-100 guy. You have a Brian McCann who you just brought in. So there's either you can look at this in a positive light or a negative one, but I feel like for the most part people like to think of it in a negative light because they're kind of mocking the Yankees for spending all this money without yeah. it being a sure thing. And just remember, the Red Sox won the World Series last year with Johnny Gomes as their starting left right. fielder and a, and a rookie shortstop playing out of position in the World Series because he was better than the option they had at third base. Guys like that win. It, it's all about making it work. It doesn't matter what the negatives are. It doesn't matter even what the positives are. It's all about doing the best you can with what you have. Which, I mean, if you look at – if you voted for manager of the year based on that category, Joe Madden would win in a landslide every year even though the Rays haven't won the World Series. But th- that's what it is. And Joe Girardi did the best he could with what he had last year and got 85 wins out of him. So the best he can do with what he has this year has got to be better than last year, and they won 85 games. So, again, you know, temper expectations. But with all of those guys, you know, it, it kind of – we sit here now. It's, it's February 12th as we tape this. There's still a handful of days left before every team has their pitchers and catchers report, and there's still time to make signings. We're sitting here with five of the 13 guys who received qualifying offers this year still free agents. So there's still room to make moves. You know, is it is it probable that the Yankees will go out and sign Irvin Santana or Ubaldo Jimenez? No. Is it possible? That might even be closer to no than yes, but, you know, they could still decide, well, you know, what the hell, let's go out and do it. 
But could they sign Stephen Drew and and get him to play third base? Sure. Could, I can't believe I can't believe he's still on the market. Well, I mean, I can believe it, yeah. but it's just like it's crazy. People are about to report for spring training, and Stephen Drew is uh, such a a uh, quality player. He's the kind of guy that smart front offices look at, and they say he's a quality guy. Um, and it, it is unbelievable that so many of the guys we've been talking about for months now still yeah. are unsigned. Still are unsigned. And this is going to lead into a point I was, I was going to make about baseball in general. I think the qualifying offer system is the stupidest possible thing in the world. Just based on sheer principle, it's almost rigged in favor of the better teams. And here's what I mean by that. Last year was, you know, was the first year they kind of instituted the, the qualifying offer thing after the CBA changed over and everything. Nine guys got qualifying offers last year. Everyone except for Michael Bourne what, and well, Kyle what is, what is a qualifying offer exactly for those people who aren't as okay. smart as, as you are? The qualifying offer is um, for teams that are losing free agents that weren't traded to them during the year. They can extend a qualifying offer, which is a one-year deal that is the average, I believe, of the highest 125 salaries in Major League Baseball, regardless of position. It's blanket across the board, which kind of hurts. Isn't it 14.6? This year it was 14.1 million. Last year it was 13.3 because obviously, you know, the the Kershaw signing and various other Verlander and Hernandez and all that stuff. Um, That hurts pretty much everybody. Is it like a franchise tag in the NFL kind of? Just about, yeah, a franchise okay. or a transition tag in the NFL. I mean, you're not going to see, you know, a lot of shortstops, Stephen Drew aside, you know, you're not going to see a lot of shortstops get this. Relief pitchers, even even Mariano Rivera quality relief pitchers have almost no chance of getting a qualifying offer because as, well, as the Red Sox for one team proved last year, I mean, Koji Uehara was their fourth candidate to close, and he still saved, you know, almost 30 games and had a ridiculous ERA. Fernando Rodney, who had the best season by a closer in Major League history two years ago, just signed last week. So people aren't going to overpay for closers or bullpen. Really. I mean, you know, middle really. Boone Logan would never get a qualifying offer. But even guys like Phil Hughes will never get a qualifying offer because, you know, they're coming off situations where they'd be absolutely bonkers not to accept it. So he's kind of the the benchmark of, you know, he had a disastrous season last year, but he's 27, has a lot of potential, you know, won 18 games and was an all-star a few years ago, was dominant as a setup man in 2009, has a lot of potential. Some team's going to take a chance on him. He'd be bonkers not to have accepted a $14 million deal because he couldn't realistically have had a worse year this year than he did last year, and he would have gotten himself a ton more money. So the Yankees aren't going to offer him a qualifying offer. Why would they? They know he's going to take it. So what's the point? Just let him go. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck with a $14 million contract where if he's, you know, even if he's 8-8 eight and eight with a 4 ERA, it's going to be a really horrible contract in the eyes of everyone who judges them. So last year we had, you know, nine guys. All but two of them were signed. This year, 13, five of them remained unsigned. And it's guys from teams that, you know, after Tanaka signed and Matt Garza went to the Brewers already and Bronson Arroyo went to the Diamondbacks and guys who were of equal quality – are signed, but these guys aren't because it's going to cost teams a draft pick, which, I mean, outside of a handful of guys, is it really is a draft pick really going to make a difference in the next three to four years? So no. Uh, let, let, let me ask you something though. What what exactly is your point? So you're saying that you think that this is a stupid 
uh, idea, the fact that a qualifying offer is possible, that it doesn't really help the team or the player? I think it I think it hurts the players in that they're never going to accept it because they all think they're going to get more money than they than the qualifying offer. And you know, again, I'll go back to last year with all the guys that, you know, that got them 13.3 million was the qualifying offer. The only one who didn't get a contract worth more than that or at least like some some kind of equivalent in average annual value were Adam LaRoche and Kyle Loesch. That's it. And Loesch didn't sign until March 25th because, you know, the Mets would have absolutely signed him if he didn't have the – they didn't want to give up the number. They had the number 11 pick. They didn't want to give it up. He ended up going to Milwaukee where they finally said, you know what, a week before the season opened, they needed a starter that bad. And they said, you know what, fine, we'll sign him. They got him for three years. Adam LaRoche re-signed with Washington. So realistically, I mean, that wasn't a, wasn't a loss, I guess, in terms of anything because they didn't lose a draft pick for re-signing their own guy. This year, nobody – no, nobody has gotten an, a, a contract worth less than what they got last year, average annual value, or less than the qualifying offer. So they know they're going to get more money than whatever the qualifying offer is. So it's it's kind of detrimental in that regard. And then it hurts teams like, again, the Rays, the the Mets, other teams that have to try to build through the draft because they can't spend the kind of money to compete. So when a player like Irvin Santana is out there, Who's going to want a hundred million dollars? He made thirteen million last year, had a pretty good season, you know, on options with with incentives. He's going to want fifteen, seventeen million dollars. A team like Tampa Bay is not going to sign him and give up a draft pick. So it makes it easier for a team like the Yankees, who yes, they lost Cano and Granderson, who both had qualifying offers attached, but they also signed three of the guys that weren't theirs that had them and re-signed Kuroda. The Yankees had three first-round draft picks and a supplemental. You know, one of the supplemental on the second round pick with Ghost Kato last year. So does that really hurt them this year to have to give up? Eh, we give up one draft pick because, man, eh, we signed two guys, but we lost a guy, so it's kind of all evens out in the wash. Is it really hurt them to move their top draft pick from 30-ish to 60? No. I'm kind of confused. You lost me. Realistically? Really? Yeah. Okay. What I'm saying is it's advantageous for it makes it easier for teams that can spend more money to sign I don't want to say higher quality free agents, but to sign the, the better the better guys. Tampa Bay realistically doesn't have the money and can't afford to give up the draft pick to sign a guy like Santana to a contract he's going to want. So by attaching the qualifying offer, Kansas City says, you know what? He's not going to take it. We're not going to re-sign him anyway. And we get a draft pick for letting him go. It, 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 it kind of unevens the playing field, I think, in that regard. The Yankees, yeah. the Yankees signed... Take Corot out of the equation because re-signing your own guy doesn't cost you anything. The Yankees signed three guys that had qualifying offers attached, which means they would have had to forfeit their top three draft picks in this year's draft. But they would get two compensatory picks for losing Cano and Granderson because they had qualifying offers attached. So realistically, the sum total of the Yankees' loss is their first-round draft pick. They have $500 million to spend because they're willing to go over the luxury tax. They drafted four guys last year, so losing one draft pick this year may or may not hurt them in the long run. Fine. They can do that. The Mets, the Rays, the Royals, teams like that can't do that. So it really kind of limits their, these guys' options to six or seven teams. I think it kind of almost narrows down the market too much is the point. I got you. I got you. So that's my rant about, about qualifying offers. But I find it funny that you know these guys are – if it wasn't for that – 
you know, Ubaldo Jimenez would have been scooped up, I'm sure, by someone long ago. Right. Right. You know, Steven Drew, even same thing. He signed a one-year deal with the Red Sox. They put the qualifying offer on him. It almost kind of guarantees, well, we're going to get him back because nobody's going to give him that much money and lose a draft pick. And if we just resign him, we don't really lose anything. So going back to um, the Yankees and spring training in general, um, you know, of the available free agents, I would say that the only person there's really a a half-decent chance of them signing is Steven Drew. A lot of the... Good bullpen arms are off the market. Uh, that, that's kind of who I thought they might go after. I thought they might go after a relief pitcher, um, but they haven't. In general, when you look at the AL East, Lou, it's interesting because it, it does kind of seem like it, it, it's an average year in the AL East. Mm-hmm. Um, Tampa Bay, you know, is going to be good because they have good pitching. That's always the case. And good managing. Right. Baltimore is kind of, it seems like they've almost seen their better days. Uh, They will probably be there around, hovering around 500, probably looking at a fourth-place finish this year. Uh, Toronto looks like a dumpster fire. Um, Boston, again, I I would worry about them going into this season because they are the team that no one's talking about, and that's kind of what uh, made them so good last year. They kind of came out of nowhere. Boston has a lot of the same pieces they had last year and has that devastating combo of Pedroia, Napoli, and Ortiz coming back. And the Yankees, of course, have made all the moves. So there's a lot of interesting pieces in this in this uh, AL East. But it, the point that I'm making is it's kind of – it does seem like it's your average year in the AL East. You don't really know who's going to win, yep. but every team is kind of bringing what they usually bring to the table. The Yankees have spent a lot. The Rays have spent almost nothing. The Blue Jays look terrible. The Orioles look like that kind of wild card team. You're not sure what they're going to be. So there's, you know, it's kind of your typical AL East year. I think 2013 in the American League East was pretty much the indication of every scenario you could have in baseball. And we'll be doing a preview of all five AL East teams coming up in a couple of weeks um, on the website. But so this is where I'm drawing this from, just from what I've written for them so far. The Boston Red Sox were an indication of what happens when everything goes right, the manager presses every button correctly, and your handful of star players perform up to expectation. Ortiz, Pedroia, the rotation pitched up to what you think they're going to be. But he pushed every right button with Johnny Gomes and Daniel Nava playing the outfield and Xander Bogarts over Will Middlebrooks in the World Series at third base. And Saltalamakia had a good season. And, and Uihara was dominant as a closer, even though he was – probably like the fourth setup man coming into the year. Like, everything went right. Right. Toronto was an indication of what happens when everything goes wrong. Very true. You know, everybody got hurt. You know, Brett Lowry was inconsistent. Bautista got hurt. Jose Reyes got hurt. The rotation. R.A. Dickey went from Cy Young to Anthony Young in one year. Burley had the worst season of his career despite being, you know, one of the most durable veteran back rotation guys for his entire career. Had the worst year of his career. People got hurt, this, that. Just everything went wrong outside of pretty much Adam Lind and Edwin Encarnacion in the bullpen last year, and they finished in last place. The Yankees were an indication of what happens when everything goes wrong, but you've got a lot of money because they were able to withstand all those injuries and bring in guys that make trades, make moves, bring in guys that brought them to 85 wins. Baltimore was an indication of what happens when you finally get good and then decide not to go any further. 
and Tampa Bay was an indication of what Tampa Bay is going to do. That's just their system. Yeah, it's very it true. Every situation you could have had from good to bad and indifferent very was true. the AL East last year. Baltimore, it's got to be frustrating to be a Baltimore fan because they really don't seem like they are aggressive at all about getting yeah. better. They've, they've spent, as of right now, they have spent $4.5 million on Major League free agents. All of it to Ryan Webb, a middle reliever. That's it. That's all I've done. They traded away their $10 million all-star closer, saved 50 games last year, and are replacing with Tommy Hunter, it looks like, and signed a middle reliever to a two-year, $4.5 million contract. Well, I'm sad to see Jim Johnson go because... God, he was good for at least five blown saves a yeah, year. Yeah, wow. Well, no, more than that. He, he saved a ton of games... But also blew so many mm-hmm. and never really had closing stuff. Nope. I mean, he just throws a hard sinker. That's pretty much it. You can't close with that. But but like I said, you know, two years ago they won whatever ninety five games. You know, right behind the Yankees in the chase. They played that thrilling ALDS. They went out and did next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Regressed a little bit because they you know their record in one run games wasn't as good. And you know, again, Jim Johnson blew a lot of saves. And then they went out this year and did nothing again. Yeah, they have a lot of good young pieces that I think they're hoping – well, it's been a while now that we've been expecting these kids to come up. Dylan Bundy is a name that comes yep. to mind. Um, Kevin Gossman last year yeah. too now. And it's just – it really doesn't seem like anything's really panning out. Um, just out of curiosity, I'm sure we'll do formal predictions at some point. Who is your early pick in the AL East? It's going to be the Yankees or the Red Sox. Yeah. And I haven't decided which one simply because – as much talent as the Yankees acquired, who knows how well it's going to gel, versus the Red Sox, could everything realistically go that right again with the same, basically the same team? I think I agree with you. I really don't know. I don't think everything will go as right for the Red Sox, uh, but they do still have most of their pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides losing Stephen Drew, the the key pieces that won the the World Series last year are still there. And, and if, if Xander Bogarts can slide over and play shortstop and be effective, and Will Middlebrooks right. doesn't stink, but and not only have to just be, be effective, Same I mean thing. he's a phenom, so he could bring a lot more to the table than anybody. Um, and so. Jack, Jackie Bradley Jr. and or Grady Sizemore are huge too, because one of them has to replace Jacoby Ellsbury. Grady Sizemore, I can't believe <laughs> he's back in the big leagues. Good for him. Yeah. But again, it's like can can Bradley Jr. step in and be? He doesn't have to be great, but can he be good? Can Grady Sizemore be anything? Like, it's it's a matter of they have a couple of questions that are huge. Can can John Farrell push all the right buttons again? I don't know. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll we'll, uh, we'll marinate it over here um, at the Yes Men trying to figure out who's going to win the AL East. It's a tough call. Um, Lou, you have I, any crazy I, stories from the weekend? I will say Toronto's probably going to finish last, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty Do sure Do I have any crazy that. stories from the weekend? I, I really don't, only because this weekend was – where life began to catch up to me, and I realized that, yes, I am getting married in three months. I spent the entire weekend doing my wedding invitations. So that was really my... That doesn't sound fun. Didn't even have time for Home Depot or Bed Bath & Beyond. It was just... Although I did go to a... You're going you're gonna to laugh at me for this. I did go to a wrestling show over the weekend. Uh, one of the independent companies I used to frequent back in the day. It was their 15th anniversary show. So a bunch of us that used to go back in the day decided, what the heck, let's go. So, you know, I... Had one of those nights where I got home at 2.30 in the morning because the show ran late and it's in South Jersey and there were multiple Wawa and Five Guys trips involved. But most of that is not sanitary enough for public airwaves consumption, so I'm just going to leave it at that. The rest of it was wedding stuff. You talk about Wawa like it's a godsend. And I like Wawa, but it's it's sandwiches. So what – you go to them whenever they're in your vicinity. I do. 
but but I don't understand. It, it, like I love Wawa. I go to them when I can. Like if I'm on a road trip, I'll stop there versus stopping in at Exxon. But uh, I don't understand why. Like y- like I'll t- I'll talk to you and I'll be like, yeah, let's go to uh, Trenton to cover this, and you'll be like, oh, go to Wawa. There's a new Wawa ten miles out, and I'm like, whoa, dude. There's one that's open right near Steinbrenner Field, too, so you can expect to see a lot of it in I'm Tampa. telling you, we have conversations about destinations, all baseball-related here at, at YesNetwork.com. And Lou will, before anything else, before the hotel, he will talk about the Wawa before work, before, uh, like, the nearest way to drink water or, or, you know, get dressed or bathe. Wawa is first. First on your list of priorities. Okay, here's the thing. And, again, our listening area can can be worldwide because we're on the website. But, realistically, I'm sure most of the people who listen to us are within the Yankees' footprint and or maybe in Florida. Okay? So they're just – those people are just learning what WAW was about, whereas most of us probably don't know. It really is a mid-Atlantic phenomenon. Okay? You can get sandwiches there, obviously, yes, but they're – Here comes the two in the morning thing. It's a dairy farm. Like, like Wawa has a dairy farm in Wawa, Pennsylvania. It's a real town. So their dairy products are high quality. They make great iced tea. And it's a convenience store kind of in a subway, only better all rolled into one. So it's kind of a I, – I Look, I get it. I get it. I like Wawa. I go there all the time down the Jersey Shore. It's, it's almost like – and I'm, I'm not going to compare it to this exactly, but it's almost like how people have a fascination with like Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. That's really what it is because when you're in the mid-Atlantic – Middle to South Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. There's literally one on every corner, almost like there's a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks on every corner here in the Northeast. So that's what it is. And having lived in Philly when I went to school for five years and having lived across the street from one for a year, which was really, really bad for both my wallet and my waistline, it becomes like, oh, we can just go to Wawa. It's the kind of thing like up here, like we have Duchess. I know we had this conversation where you don't say, yeah, I don't really eat at Duchess a lot, whatever, but... You have some place like that that's much better than going to a McDonald's or a Burger King or kind of that kind of place that when you're away from it, you miss it and you realize, like, how much you enjoyed it. And so when you're around, you're like, oh, I got to go to – you know, I got to go there. My father and my uncle do that all the time. When they come up here from Florida, there's a handful of, like, restaurants or places in Connecticut that they go to guaranteed at least twice every time they're here simply because they can't get it down there oh no i get that but i don't what i don't i think it's very normal that um you would frequent it if you were around it so like if you go to school in philly i'm sure that going to wawa is easy and it's it's the best and most consistent way to eat but what makes your situation i don't want to use the word abnormal no go ahead you can use abnormal okay what makes your situation abnormal um, would be going out of your way. So, like, it's not like a like a In-N-Out burger in L.A. You can only get it there. It's, it, you know, if you get it, you take a picture of it and post it on Instagram because that's what the kids are doing. Mm-hmm. It is freakishly good and different than any other burger chain that you're going to go to. Wawa has, like, turkey sandwiches. There's a lot more to it. It's I'm not, <laughs> I, li- I like it. I like it. I like Wawa. I'm not going to say it's I'm the same thing as In and Out. Oh God! I'm not going to oh, say God. It's, don't even go to this. I'm not going to say it's the same thing as In and Out, but it's like it's in that realm where it's like one of those things that's only available in certain areas and it's freakishly different than everything you can get elsewhere. But it's not that different. It, it's got sandwiches. 
like sandwiches you can get everywhere else. You could go to Subway and get the exact same sandwich than you can at Wawa. You could, and you could, then you could go to Subway and spend eight dollars on a sandwich that you can read through. But yes, so you're saying that you the, you're saying that the sandwiches at Wawa are, are, are of a higher quality. Yes, it's more like going to one of the delis around here than going to a Subway. I think it's cool just to order off the screens at Wawa. That's how easy it is to get me to go to, to a place. The fact that you can order it on a computer. I like that about it. I'm just, you know, I, I, again, I think the perfect example of our differences here is that if I'm on a road trip, I will stop at Wawa. I look at the signs on the highway and I'll say, oh, I'll stop there. Why go to a mobile station when I can go to a Wawa, get a sandwich, get gas, take, you know, go to the bathroom, anything. Yep. Uh, you can get you, gas at Wawa, yeah. You, I think, would would hurt someone to go to a Wawa. <laughs> I do know, based on various locales, if it's in the Wawa area, I kind of will <laughs> look up where, where it is. So, yes, no, I, don't think, I do have this, a problem. At this point, I don't even think you need to look it up. No. I think if I said Delaware, if I say Delaware to you. Delaware is not really my, my realm. I'm if, just saying. If you say the Philadelphia, the oh, greater boy. Philly the area. The greater yes. Philly area. Which means, yes. by the way, folks, he knows the suburb Wawa's. Not just the inner city Wawa's. That means Lou is in the suburbs of Philly with all the rich people eating at a Wawa because he was in the vicinity. Yes, and I will go a couple miles out of my way to go to one. So that's. But I have friends who live in California that every time they come home, pack, you know, three, four, eight pounds of Dunkin' Donuts coffee in their suitcase. That Same makes thing, sense. You can't get it out you there. You can't get it. Yeah, so, it makes sense. It makes sense. So, I mean, it, it's in that realm, but yes, I'm I'm a little bit more fanatical about things than most people would or probably should be, so I get it. I, I get it. You love Wawa. You hate qualifying offers. That I is a Wawa, summary. That is a summary offers. of today's episode. I'm the kind of guy that there's a handful of things in life that I enjoy immensely, and with and when I don't have them, if I'm in a situation where I can have them, I will go out of my way to get them. Wawa just being one of them, I guess. I think it's a healthy way to live. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know, some people only drink Coke or only drink Pepsi. Some people, you know, only eat at Restaurant X and not Restaurant Y. I happen to be one of those with Wawa and well, Duchess, too, to be honest, because I love their bacon, egg, and cheeses. But I, I happen to be that kind of person, and that's one of the things that falls into that category. My mother loves me. This episode has been brought to you by Wawa. Eat at your local lo- location. You can Google it. To see where the nearest Wawa is. They serve delicious sandwiches as well as gasoline. <laughs> the closest one here is actually in, like, I think, Kearney, New Jersey. So, Oh, that's so weird that you know that. Are you a big fan of Wawa? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you drive by it on 80 if you're going out, uh, out to West Jersey. You can see it from the highway. So, And I point it out every time we drive out there, and my fiance says, yes, I know. So... Yeah. It's... Meanwhile, somewhere, Bud... Or not, yeah. Bud Selig is sitting at a Wawa reviewing some sort of you know, big piece of parchment with qualifying offers, trying to see if he needs to change. He needs to change the rules. No, he's not. He's sitting in his office watching the Olympics, like we will be as soon as we finish taping this podcast. Let's be fair. Guilty. Yeah, I watched curling for like seven hours yesterday. It's not even funny. All right, let's call it quits. Nobody wants to listen to us. <sighs> all right. Well, next week, uh, by the time we record, uh, all position players will have reported for the Yankees, so we'll start breaking down some. Uh, some positional battles, and we can start analyzing spring training games the week after that because they begin play on the 25th, I believe. So got a lot to look forward to coming up here in the next few weeks of the SBEN, and then we'll be live in Tampa in mid-March for a little video. Um, so stay tuned and see what we have to say about the Yankees over the next few weeks 
Until next time, I'm Lou DiPietro. To my left is Doug Williams. Out in Kearney, New Jersey is Wawa. There's a Duchess in Darien. we got to do an episode live from <laughs> from from a Wawa. Yeah. And, and we are the Yes Men, and we thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes if you haven't already, and we'll see you next time.